Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is baptized. In the Jordan, welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer, your host. I greeted you with the greeting of this particular liturgical season. It says, actually, the whole season is a season of epiphany. It's epiphanic, showing forth, manifesting. It started with the very birth of Christ, which, of course, was prophesied. And that itself began with the incarnation itself, the annunciation the conception of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, March 25th. But then the showing forth itself begins with his birth, and that moves right into then, for in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, into his other aspects of his humiliation, his showing forth. In other words, what, what is he showing? Well, we have his birth, we have his circumcision, we have his presentation in the temple as a child, and we have his baptism. This goes all the way into February. And of course, soon after that comes the Lenten season. But what's happening now is it's repeated instances of God's humiliation, of him revealing what he did for us. He comes into our reality, lowers himself. He condescends. He empties himself. He becomes what he was not while remaining who he is, the creator. So it's a showing forth of God himself revealed through the physicality of his own creation. In other words, the invisible God is now made visible through the physicality of his own creation. But it's also showing forth the unfathomable degree of love he had for us, that he would humiliate himself. He would take on something which is lower than he is, which, which really is impossible. We say that he was the uncontainable one. Not even the universe can contain God because he's infinite, yet he's contained within a human body, first within the womb of a virgin, and then with his own within a finite body as he walks around on this earth being God, but yet also in human nature. He's both human and divine, not one or the other. One person, two natures. And then he submits himself to his own laws. Now, all these laws in the Old Testament, such as circumcision, 
actually then also being presented to the temple after 40 days of being born, living on this earth, a child was presented after 40 days in the temple. All those things which are part of the law are things that God himself obviously didn't need. God made up the law that the Jewish people followed and incorporated into their faith. They needed these laws. God did not. So he submitted himself to that which he did not need. Another sign of his incredible humiliation. See, we should be really contemplating this mystery. I mean, really contemplating it, because what that should do for us is should deepen our love of God, our awesomeness. In other words, it almost, in a sense, seduce us into loving God more deeply. The fact that we would try to imagine this kind of action on God's part, this kind of love, because since he is God, he could have done it some other way. He could have just thought the thought in his divine, infinite mind that we're saved and everything is made good again, no more original sin. Everything's back in order again. He could have just done that. Just snapped his fingers, his divine, godly fingers, thought the thought in his mind, said the word. It would have taken no no action, nothing, almost nothing for him to redo, recreate, restore creation after the fall of original sin. There's so many ways he could have done this. In an instant, less than an instant, in an immeasurable amount of time, he could have done it. Yet, He did it in the fullness of time, in a long time, long, arduous time. Think of this unfolding from the time that he first approaches Abraham to form the covenant with him and Abraham. He chooses a people, and then he explains this whole plan. He's going to form this covenant, this relationship. It's going to unfold. It's going to take all kinds of twists and turns, not on his part, on the part of the human beings. And then he's going to fulfill it by coming himself to earth, entering himself into his own creation, lowering himself, humiliating himself, taking on everything painful and dark and dirty and sinful, and redeeming it and raising us finally, ultimately, to the throne of heaven with him forever, and opening the door, the possibility for all of us to be saved forever. The possibility, I didn't say we're automatically saved, but the door is now open. The gates of hell, which prevented that from happening, are now broken. They're opened up. Imagine all of that over thousands of years, ingeniously designed, patiently, painstakingly, steadfastly unfolding. To the, and, and, and as if that's not enough, the fact that God would come himself, suffer and die, then rise up and raise us with him. This is just incredible. If you think about that, and this is an historical fact, we can document this. That's right. There's scientific proofs. Oh, we love science, right? It's not just a, oh, we believe that Christ existed. No, there's actual proof. We look at this, and you really contemplate this reality how else can you respond but having your mind, as we say today, blown up, blown apart, blows your mind? And the only only honest response to that would be a deepening love of God and a desire to want to thank Him, to be with Him. And what does that bring you to? The life of the church. The life of the church. 
where we can be most intimate, most complete with God, despite all the blemishes and the corruption in the church, that's not the real church. That's the human face of it, which is broken, but which God works through nonetheless. He always has through 2,000 years. I'm talking about the real church, that mystical presence of God in the liturgy, in the sacraments, in the iconography, in the prayers, in the ritual, the real church, the part that goes beyond any kind of human limitation. Another sign of God's humility and love is that he decided to form a church and make his body present on earth through that church of human beings, which of course obviously are very, very fallible. But it is still his body his mystical body on earth, and it only comes in this form, in this kind of completion, through the church. As we contemplate this mystery, why not make that a New Year's resolution for yourself? Maybe you've already made one and you've already broken it. So, so what? Make another one. You can make more than one. Make a New Year's resolution that you're going to really, really descend into the mystical reality, really going to contemplate the reality of what God has done. That's what all these days are doing. This unfolding since Christmas Day all the way through to the feast of the presentation of Christ in the temple in February, and even the post-festive of that, which takes you to about February 9th. So we've got, we've got a ways to go yet. It's still being epiphanic. It's still showing forth so that we would have time to get that through our heads and incorporate it into our souls and respond with a renewed faith a renewed commitment. Let the liturgy of the church, the liturgical life of the church, let it work for you. Let God and the events of God on earth work for you. I like to say that. Let it work for you. Let it do something to you. But you have to open to it. You have to understand it. You have to contemplate the mystery. And the best way to do that is through the liturgy of the church. Let me give you an example. And and I'll show you the, the marvelous continuity here. Listen to these words, which we pray as we lead up to the Feast of Christ's baptism in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. His baptism is celebrated on January 6th. This is one of the prayers we say during the Vespers. Resplendent is the feast which has passed, meaning Christmas. But more glorious is the present day. On that day, the Magi adore the Savior. On this day, the glorious servant baptizes the Master. There, the shepherds sang in amazement. Here, the voice of the Father proclaims him to be the only begotten Son. See, they're comparing through the liturgical text the gloriousness of Christmas and Theophany. Notice Christ's birth and his baptism. And notice they're kind of fusing them together. There's a continuity there. In fact, early on in the church, the two were, were basically celebrated as one. It was later on in the 4th century that they began to be separated into a Christmas celebration and then a Theophany. In the West, it became Epiphany. In other words, the three kings. But notice, East and West, it's the same theme, showing forth. Christ, the incarnation, the God in the flesh, is shown forth to the Magi, who represent those who are non-Jews. In other words, the rest of the world to whom Christ would be preached by the apostles, because God wanted all to be saved. So the Magi represent God being shown forth to everybody. And so in the Western church, the Epiphany, the celebration of the three kings, the three Magi on January 6th, is all a part of the same theme. Now in the Eastern churches, it's the revelation, the Epiphany, not only of Christ's baptism, but of the Holy Trinity. Because at the event of Christ's baptism, the Trinity was revealed 
very clearly, visibly, Christ himself, the Son, the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove that was seen, witnessed, and his Father's voice was heard, booming out from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, listen to him. But the liturgical texts point out that the theophany is even more resplendent than Christmas. I mean, it's kind of hard to compare the two, but it's trying to make a point that what began in the nativity, as glorious as that is, has a purpose, a destiny that's going to be very serious, very glorious. It's going to be Christ's baptism, his death and resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Holy Spirit. That begins on Christmas, but Christmas is the beginning of something that's going to unfold, that gets greater and greater. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this marvelous marvelous season of manifestation, of epiphany. I'm Father Thomas Loy on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. When did St. Nicholas begin delivering gifts on Christmas Eve? Well, sadly, by the end of the 18th century and the first part of the 19th century, people more and more forgot why we celebrate Christmas. So one day some folks invited me to deliver gifts on Christmas Eve instead of St. Nicholas Eve in early December. You can imagine my joy, the birthday of Jesus, what an honor. But it was then that they took away my bishop's vestments and dressed me like an elf. Talk about an extreme makeover. That's why on Christmas Eve of 1822, Dr. Clement Moore wrote down what he saw. He said he saw a little old driver so lively and quick I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. Why, you ask, did he have doubts in his mind whether it was St. Nicholas or not? Well, he knew I was a bishop. He was shocked to see me dressed like an elf. But no matter how I'm dressed, my spirit is still the same. I'm filled with the joy that flows from the Christmas proclamation, Christ is born, glorify him. <laughs> You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer, your host. Christ is baptized. The response is in the Jordan. We're looking at this great continuity between the liturgical services, the text, and so on, the scriptures of this whole revelation, this epiphanic era we're in, where God is revealing himself in these various events of the life of Christ. In the Eastern churches, we're in the middle of the observance of the theophany, the baptism of Christ. We call it theophany because it is the revelation of the Trinity. Before we go any further, and because it's the new year, we're getting into the new year, just take a moment here to thank all of you for listening in this past year. And thanks for being on board with us again as we begin the new year. Hard to imagine. It even sounds kind of, wow, really science fiction-ish. I want to thank many of you who have been so kind to us, above all for listening to us and sending in your comments and suggestions and your kind words. And I'd like to especially thank recently Jean Bray. Jean's a great, great friend of us here at Light of the East and all of you who are out there 
faithful listeners. Thank you for this past year once again, and thank you for being with us in this new year as it unfolds. So we're going to look at a few more of the liturgical text here because this whole time of year is so rich. It's so incredibly rich. It's very multi-layered. So we first of all looked at the continuity and how it contrasts Christmas and, and theophany, the birth of Christ and his baptism and the coming of the Magi. See, all that has a continuity. At the same time, they each have their own particular manifestation, their particular epiphany. In other words, their particular significance. So in this comparison between Christmas and theophany, I just want to share one more wonderful liturgical text for you that, again, shows this contrast. Again, it's from the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine Church for as we approach theophany. It says, Radiant was the feast that has just passed, meaning Christmas, but more brilliant, O Savior, is the one approaching. The first had an angel as a herald. This one has John the forerunner. The first had blood spilled and had Bethlehem lament as one who was childless. The second has blessed waters, recognized to be a bath having many children. Before, the star proclaimed the Magi. Now, before the star proclaimed to the Magi, now the Father shows you to the world that you are incarnate and are openly coming again. O Lord, glory to you. Well, wasn't that wonderful, those contrasts, where it shows the, the beauty, the splendor of Christmas, and all the little parts of it, you know, the Magi and, and the angels, the shepherds. But then it makes a parallel to that, but yet takes it a step further with the baptism of Christ. Now, there's also a comment about what this baptism of Christ has to do with the environment, with the world. That's right. You see, the church, boy, we've been environmentalists long before that word even existed. It's because we follow and live by the sacramental liturgical worldview. In the prayers, we say this, the Jordan then cries out to John, right there, Walt Disney's got nothing over us. We have water and rocks, animals talking. We've had it talking for hundreds of years. Then came along Disneyland, you with Mickey Mouse and all that. Okay, fine. But we've been doing it with the church in this liturgical theological way. The Jordan then cries out to John, why do you hesitate to baptize my Lord? Why do you delay the purification of so many people? He has already sanctified all creation. Let me also be sanctified together with the nature of the waters. For this reason, he has come into the world. Now, isn't that wonderful? It says that this is the, this is the water talking, the Jordan water talking. And he's telling John, don't delay. Remember, John was like, who am I to baptize you? He hesitated at first, just like, again, another parallel. The Virgin Mary hesitated at first when she was invited by the angel to become the mother of the Messiah. Remember that? She said, who? I can't do this. I, I know not man. Who am I to be the mother of the Messiah? But she and John both eventually defer to God's will. So the Jordan cries out to John, and it says that, that Christ has already sanctified all creation. Now, this happened at his birth, because he comes into the world, takes on his own creation, which means all creation is sanctified. See, the human body, the human person, is a microcosm of the universe. Well, just think about it. What do we have in our bodies? Things of the earth, minerals. Yeah, we actually got iron and, and magnesium, and we got vitamins. We have blood, we have water, we have air, we have calcium. We have all the things that are found in the earth. And so when Christ took on our human nature, since everything is summed up in him because he is God, whatever he takes on affects everything. So if he takes on our bodies, 
and we're the microcosm of the universe, he therefore is taking on all creation and therefore sanctifying it by that very fact that he takes it on. So the waters know this, but then they're asking, let me also be sanctified. You see, Christ entering into the waters of the Jordan River at his baptism sanctifies all of water, certainly the Jordan River. And whenever we celebrate the baptism of Christ in the Eastern churches, we have a great blessing of waters, really a great consecration of water, where we actually call down the Holy Spirit on the waters that are in the church. And in several steps, the priest consecrates those waters And through the mystery of the liturgy, the timeless element of the liturgy, that water actually becomes the Jordan water. You see, when God enters the picture, think about it, even with bread and wine, when God enters physicality, that physicality realizes then its mystical dimension. In other words, it's elevated to its full, beautiful, full quality and character. So bread and wine become the very body of Christ. Can you imagine? Now water becomes sanctified because Christ has entered into it. And that occurs when we call down the Holy Spirit upon the waters as they are in the church, usually on the eve of Theophany, and the priest calls down the Holy Spirit. He breathes on the waters. He takes his hand and he immerses his hand into those waters in the form of the cross, the sign of the cross. Then, first of all, the very first step, though, is he takes a three-branch candelabra and he plunges it into the water three times, saying the verses that are for the blessing. Then his hand, then his breath, and then finally he takes a cross in both hands and he penetrates the water with it, making a big sign of the cross through the sanctified water. And then he takes that water and sprinkles it around all over the church, the people, and use it for all kinds of blessings, traditional to bless homes, if that's possible. It's a little more difficult today, but it's a great, great custom in Byzantine churches. The priest would go after Theophany and bless the homes of everybody in the church and the parish with that sanctified water. The people come forward, they're sprinkled with the water, they take some of the water home, they're anointed with the holy oil. They receive Holy Communion. Boy, they, we just open up the arsenals of all the sacramental mystical stuff that the church can offer on this feast day. It is just huge. It is just huge. It's second in the Byzantine church, second in importance only to Easter Sunday itself. Can you imagine? Second only to Easter Sunday itself. It's just unimaginable in its magnitude. Let's look at a couple other levels here. There's Repeated in the prayers for the Feast of Christ's Baptism, the Theophany in the Byzantine Church, this a theme of being clothed, naked and being clothed. For example, it says, For having seen you unclothed, Christ has appeared to clothe you with the first robe. This is in reference to Adam. See, it says, O Adam, rejoice with the first mother Eve, and do not hide yourselves as before in paradise. For having seen you unclothed, Christ has appeared to clothe you with the first robe, he has appeared to renew all creation. Now, what this means is, and this is especially a theme among the Byzantine fathers of the church, that the original humans, Adam and Eve, or as St. John Paul II would call it, original man, were very splendid, very glorious. Their bodies were somehow more spiritualized, more perfect, more pure than what we know today. From original sin, everything gets debased. Everything gets sort of knocked down a notch or two. 
maybe actually more than one or two notches, unfortunately. And, and we become more, well, the word they use is coarse. These bodies that we know that can get sick and dirty and, and become lame and, and eventually die and be corrupted, that all came in from sin. That wasn't part of Adam and Eve. So when the liturgical texts talk about Christ clothing us with the, the original creation, the original robes, it means through his baptism by cleansing us, he's restoring our, mystically restoring our nature like it was in the beginning. We're becoming new again. That's because he is the new Adam. Coming in as the pure, obedient new Adam into creation, being baptized so that we can then share in his baptism and have our nature renewed. It's an incredibly rich time of year, and I'm glad you're part of it. I'm glad to be part of it, too. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. out EWTN's official YouTube channel. Just follow the link on our homepage at EWTN.com or go to YouTube.com slash EWTN. Watch EWTN's live shows or today's homily from the Daily Mass. Click the upload button to see our most recent clips. You can also find all of EWTN YouTube content by clicking the playlist button. It's all on the official EWTN YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash EWTN. Visit today. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!